We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, November the 4th, 2019. On today's show, I break down everything that happened on Saturday night as the Gamecocks are able to pick up the 24-7 win over the Vanderbilt Commodores. Also, some news and notes to get to, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown that I know you're sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast to you by our friends over at Ag South Farm Credit. Ag South Farm Credit, guys, most lenders don't understand land financing. Ag South Farm Credit, they actually specialize in land financing, and those guys have been doing it for over 100 years. Call 844-AG-SOUTH or visit agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. That's A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C dot com slash T-S-U-S. I just want to make clear, Ag South is an equal housing lender in MLS Number 619788. Guys, Ag South Farm Credit, fantastic new sponsor we have on the show. If you've ever thought about buying land before, I know the question always comes up. The name has Farm Credit in it. Is it just for farmers? That's something everybody wants to know. Not at all. Their mission is to support rural America, and that can include just about anything that involves the purchase of land. Guys, we're all getting to that point. I know I'm getting to that point personally as well, especially throughout the state of South Carolina. You want to buy land. You want to go with the best possible lender. You want to get the best possible rates. Ag South Farm Credit is the way to go. A lot of their customers are those that either they just want a piece of property outside the town that they can live on, or they want a piece of land, obviously, but they can really serve anyone and everything, everyone within that space. Again, for more questions about what Ag South Farm Credit can do, call 844-AG-SOUTH. That's 844-AG-SOUTH and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Or you can just go visit their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. Again, A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C dot com slash T-S-U-S. Ag South is an equal housing lender in MLS number 619-788. Again, appreciate those guys over at Ag South Farm Credit and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show since. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Got a packed show as I break down South Carolina's 24-7 win. Gamecocks find a way to get it done on homecoming 
I'm going to break everything down because there's a lot to go over from what happened from that game on Saturday night. Before we get into everything, some housekeeping items I want to go over. First things first, appreciate you guys, everyone that's done, uh, you know, left the reviews, reached out, gave your feedback. If you continue to do that, if you haven't done so, click the pause button right now, wherever you're at, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening to the show. First things first, click the subscribe button, subscribe to the podcast. If you're not, you'll get the daily alerts to let you know when the new show is dropped. Uh, second thing, do me a favor, go leave a five-star review, leave your feedback, leave your thoughts on the show. It helps people, other people find the show, and it obviously helps boost up the podcast. If you could go do that for me, really appreciate you guys doing that. I want to say really, really do appreciate everyone that's done that. But go subscribe, go rate the show. It helps boost up everything, and I just genuinely appreciate it. Um, also, you guys probably saw stickers are in. Stickers came in on Saturday, and obviously I'll be making this announcement on social media either way, but I'm giving away the stickers. Um, so if you're someone, if you're listening to the show right now and you know you're going to want a sticker, shoot me a DM. I'm planning on probably having to order more because I know these things are really, really popular. They did really, really well last year during last season. I'm going to plan on getting more Um I waited a while to get stickers again, just because there's been a lot of other stuff, business stuff going on and kind of trying to nail stuff down, obviously, with the Palmetto Moon stuff and just get everything taken care of. But have stickers again. Got them on Saturday. I will say this. If you know you're going to be at the South Carolina Appalachian State game, I'll be walking around the tailgates, passing them out there as well. So, obviously, it'd be a little easier to do that than to ship them out to everyone. Um, it's very tedious. And, I mean, I don't mind doing it, obviously. I mean, I want to get them to everyone. But you know, it can be tedious and it's just, I actually enjoy meeting up with people in person and giving them the stickers. I think it's cool to meet up with the fans, meet up with the listeners, the people that support, the people that make everything that I do possible. Um, and it's cool to talk with you guys. So just let me know if you want a sticker again, I'm going to put this all on social media. You'll probably see it there first, but, um, if you, if you're listening to this right now, you want a sticker, shoot me a DM. That's going to be the best way that we're going to do this. Shoot me a DM, shoot me a message. Let me know. And I'll be sure to get a sticker to you guys. Um, the other thing really quickly, I want to continue to promote it. The Palmetto Moon merchandise. We've got the Forever to Three shirts in there, the US Three shirt and the Viva Garcia shirt. Um, 50% of all proceeds going from the Forever to Three and the US Three shirts back in Alinsky's Hope, which I'm really, really excited about. Uh, you can either go into any Palmetto Moon location across the state of South Carolina or go to palmettomoononline.com um, and order the shirts there. It's awesome that they've got them online, obviously, but go to either any Palmetto Moon location across the state or palmettomoononline.com. One other thing really quickly, I debated going back and forth if I wanted to mention it or not. If you have any questions, if you're a fan and you've got genuine questions, how the donation process work, what are the business logistics behind it, feel free to reach out to me. Reach out to me via DM. I would love to explain any confusion to anyone. Again, 50% of the proceeds going back to Holinsky's Hope. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Not going to make a huge issue of it. I know there was some banter over the weekend, which is completely fine. Again, it was mostly by people that are completely meaningless in their opinions. They obviously don't know what they're talking about. And kind of a sad situation when you try to slander someone for, you know, doing something good for a charity. But either way, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But if you guys have any genuine questions, if you want to know some of the inner workings, I'd be more than happy to clear up any confusion that maybe any, any of the supporters, if you're planning on going and buying a shirt, you want to know exactly what the breakdown is of what you buy and what you purchase and what you pay goes back to the foundation. Please, please reach out to me. Hear it firsthand from me exactly how that works. I'd be more than happy to explain that to you guys. But again, any Palmetto Moon location, palmettomoononline.com. You can go there, get this stuff. It's an awesome thing. And the sh these shirts, Turned out fantastic, by the way. I, I'm 
elated how the shirts turned out. Um, also, one other thing really quickly, basketball preview will be coming on Wednesday. I know I told you guys um, – Going to do the basketball preview this week. Obviously, South Carolina tips off on Wednesday against North Alabama at Colonial Life Arena. I will be in the building, but Wednesday morning, the official 2019 Carolina basketball preview on the podcast will be coming Wednesday. I know my good buddy Noah Pathea did his write-up last week, but going to bring it to the podcast Wednesday morning, so it should give you guys an idea. Um, all right, let's talk about Vanderbilt. Before we do, though, actually, I want to mention my good friends over at Manscaped, you didn't think I was going to forget about those guys, did you? That's another thing I forgot to mention. Got a brand new presenting sponsor, those guys at Ag South Farm Credit. Very, very excited to be partner with them. Extremely excited. But still got our buddies over at Manscaped. So I want to talk about Manscaped a little bit. Guys, the show is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, who's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, and they offer precision-engineered tools for your family. Jules, guys, we've all been there before, right? You're shaving, you're trimming. You nick yourself, you cut yourself, it bleeds out, it burns, it's a bad look, if nothing else. And it kind of stops you from being able to manscape in the future, right? Because you're so nervous about, God, I don't want to nick myself, I don't want to cut myself there, that really hurts. And then you don't do it, and then you look sloppy below the belt. Guys, Manscaped has changed the game for us. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer, their lawnmower 2.0, has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Guys, manscaping accents are finally a thing of the past. I'm telling you, take it from someone who is using this stuff every single day. Whether you've got a wife, you've got a girlfriend, you've got a girl you just really like and you're going on a date with her and you think, hey, tonight might be the night, man. I don't know. Either way, you want to stay feeling good. Hey, what did Dion say? If you, if, you, if you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, and if you play good, they are going to pay good. How in the world are you going to feel good if you don't take care of yourself below the belt, if you don't have yourself groomed, looking right, if you're not smelling right, everything. It all goes together. We've all been there, and I'm somebody, again, that's using this stuff every single day, and it is a game changer. I talked about the lawnmower 2.0. It is as good, if not better, than advertised. Perfect trimmer. This is this is the trimmer you've got to have for your nuts, 100%. The crop cleanser, by the way, on the last show, I was looking for what the name was. The crop cleanser is like the body wash slash nut wash slash everything. It is amazing. It smells phenomenal. It makes you feel so good. It makes your skin feel so good. Um, they've also got the crop preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant moisturizer. Listen, guys, you already put deodorant in your armpits. Why don't you put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Also, the one thing you don't want to do, don't make the excuse and say that you want to use, oh, I've already got a trimmer. Bro, if you're shaving your face with the same thing you shave your nuts with, that's disgusting, and I wouldn't admit that to anyone, okay? I'm giving you an out right here. Also, the holidays are coming up. You have no excuse not to either splurge or buy this for someone you like, or if ladies, you're listening, get this for your man. What you got to do, go to manscaped.com, use the promo code Gamecocks. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. Guys, it's like stealing from these people. Manscaped.com, promo code Gamecocks, get 20% off plus free shipping. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you later. All right, let's talk about South Carolina Vanderbilt. Gamecocks get the 24-7 win. And what was a very, very interesting game, and I thought just a really interesting night at Williams-Brice Stadium. Vanderbilt obviously strikes first in this game. South Carolina overcoming a very sluggish start um, and coming back to get the win. But Vanderbilt strikes first. They're up 7-0. It felt like the stadium became deflated. I, I don't know how you guys felt about it. I was in the stadium. 
it was a very weird feeling. It really was. I, I don't know if it's because the hangover from the Tennessee and the Florida games or what the deal was, but, you know, Vanderbilt strikes first. South Carolina's up 14-7 to seven at half. This game had a very much – it had the, a very similar feeling. I'll tell you this. This is how I felt about Vandy or how I feel about it. It felt like the Kentucky game all over again, but this time we didn't have the satisfaction of ending a streak. You know, we didn't have the satisfaction of, oh, we finally beat these guys. Like, the game had the feeling of, okay, Vanderbilt's not a good team. We should win this game. And it's like, here's the thing. I, this is going to sound bad, and it's fine. I'll be completely honest. You know, I didn't even get that excited on Saturday night. I, I really didn't. I, I really, really didn't. And it because the whole reason is, is because <clears throat> I think it's just the expectations, you know, coming in this game, I expected us to win. I mean, you were a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. And, by the way, Vegas, they're geniuses. South Carolina wins by 17. I mean, those guys absolutely called it. But, you know, it was one of those weird-feeling nights where it's just it didn't get off to a good start. You had to battle back to win, and, you know, I mean, you did enough, and, you know, you could certainly argue that South Carolina left a bunch of points out there. I mean, I'm thinking of a couple specific fourth down and shorts that South Carolina didn't get, or if they kicked a field goal there at the end, you know, you add on more points. But simply put, you know, they didn't do that. So you get the 24-7 to win, and it's one of those games where I think you chalk up and you look at it and you say, you know what? A win's a win. And that's really all you can say about it. I'm going to talk about some of the great individual performances from the game because there are a lot of positives to take from it. There are certainly some positives. But realistically, when you look at this game as a whole, I don't really know. I mean, did we learn anything about this South Carolina team that we didn't already know? I mean, is there anything we really learned or that we're really – that you point to something and say, bam, we can take that away for the rest of the season? Um, besides maybe the play of the running backs, which I'm going to touch on in just a second. But, you know, um, the day obviously got off to a very strange start. You know, we all found out about noon on Saturday that Shai Smith would be out for the game. Uh, They said he tweaked his hamstring. I heard his – you know, I heard some crazy rumors in the sense that he's suspended and there was a – you know, there was a video on his Instagram story of him being out in five points celebrating Jalen Dickerson's birthday – I don't want to believe he would be that stupid to throw that up on his story, but you never know. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say he did. I'm not going to say he didn't. Either way, Shai Smith was out on Saturday. That played a huge role and took a huge toll, I think, on this South Carolina Gamecocks offense. But what it did open up the door for was a running game and Brian Edwards. Thank God for Brian Edwards. I'm going to start there. A historic day for Brian Edwards. 14 catches. 14 catches, 139 yards, a touchdown. He averaged 9.9 yards a catch. What a game. I mean, what a game by Brian Edwards, a guy that is going to end his career setting every single record in the book in regards to South Carolina wide receivers. Definitely has himself etched in there as one of the all-time great wide receivers in South Carolina history, if not the greatest. Heck, you might think he's the greatest ever. But, uh, man, South Carolina has been hurting without him. You know, I've – I, I, I was a little critical. I've been a little critical of this South Carolina receiving core, especially after Saturday night. I mean, listen, I just beyond Brian Edwards and Shai Smith, the, 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 the product has been a little underwhelming in my opinion. Guys like Ortre Smith haven't stepped up. Josh Van, who can't catch a cold, no offense, um, he hasn't stepped up. Xavier Leggett, we finally got a look at him on Saturday night with the touchdown catch, three catches for 34 yards, and obviously had the 20-yard TD reception. And, 
a guy that, you know, was great to see. I mean, we heard about how good he was in the preseason, how shifty he was, and how tough a guy to bring down, stuff like that. And so to finally see Xavier Leggett, to see that kind of pan out was obviously great to see. But you got to hope you get Shy Smith back quickly because this South Carolina wide receiver core is, I mean, again, beyond Brian Edwards and Shy Smith, there's not a whole lot of firepower there right now, especially when we're going to talk about it in a bit, but you lose Nick Muse. You're tight in. You lose Josh Van. Both these guys are lost for the season. It's going to put even more pressure on Brian Edwards and Shai Smith to be your dudes. Um, I want to talk about the running game really quickly. Uh, really good night again from the running game. Again, this, this game, you, you didn't rush for nearly as much. You ran for 205 as a team, which is really good. But this game felt so eerily similar, similar to the Kentucky game. Like it, it feels like a carbon copy of the Kentucky game. But – a surprise name leading the way as far as rushing is concerned is Sean Fenwick. 18 carries, 102 yards, uh, did not score a touchdown, but obviously a great game. Tavian Feaster, 11 carries for 53 yards. Kevin Harris, Kevin Harris getting back in the action. 10 carries for 20 yards, but he had the great touchdown run in which, you know, I, I think a lot of us question the play call. I don't love that toss sweep thing, but – Kevin Harris makes a great play, snag the ball over his right shoulder, corral it, and then get in the end zone. Kevin Harris is going to be a problem for years to come. And I mean that if you're listening to me, you're like, what are you talking about? Problem's a good thing. He's going to be a problem for other teams in the years to come. Very excited. Deshaun Fenwick, you know, Will Muschamp talked about after the game, um, a guy who contemplated transferring. I'm not shot. I really thought he would transfer. And he, he still may. I mean, heck, he still may. But, uh, you know, Muschamp talking about, you know, he's a guy that, um, you know, that uh, the, the contemplated transferring stuck it out and then he gets his opportunity, you know, does what he does, 18 for 102. I thought he had a fantastic game. Deshaun Fenwick has always been a guy that I feel like for – I thought he would get more chances. I thought he could be the dude. I mean, I even went as far in preseason practice and said that I thought Deshaun Fenwick had a chance to challenge for the starting job. Granted, I think that was before Tavian Feaster stepped on campus. But either way, I, I really thought that Fenwick might have that opportunity. Uh, I think his biggest problem is he's a little too inconsistent. I'll be surprised to see how much more, if at all, they use him for the rest of the season. Because, you know, uh, Muschamp actually said he's they're expecting to get Rico Dowdle back next week. So, I mean, you'd imagine it's going to go back to a two-back backfield in regards to, you know, Dowdle and Feaster. But, I mean, is Denson really a better option than Fenwick? Heck, is Denson a better option than Kevin Harris? I mean, I'm not trying to pile on Mon Denson, but maybe these guys should start seeing more carries. I mean, there's obviously some potential there. There's obviously some talent, some guys that can make some plays for you. Again, I thought Deshaun Fenwick looked really good running the ball. I thought he found the hole. I thought he hit the hole with explosion. I thought, uh, you know, I think he runs hard. I think he's a guy that's got some moves. I mean, he can help you. I think he is a guy that can help you. So, I'll be interested to see what the use of Deshaun Fenwick is beyond this point. Um, another thing I want to talk about really quickly, Ryan Holinsky. Uh, you know, we were obviously – we've been very critical of him, been critical of his play. I thought that, you know, he played a good game Saturday night, 24 of 31, 235, two touchdowns. The biggest thing, and I think the biggest compliment right now we can make to Ryan Holinsky's game is that he's being very careful with the football. He's playing a very clean brand of football. He's not throwing South Carolina out of the game. And that's something great to see, especially as a true freshman, because a lot of times a true freshman – you want to try to be a hero. You want to try to make that play when it's maybe not there and it causes you to make mistakes. I don't think Ryan's doing that. I really think Ryan's taking what the defense has given him. 
I will say, you know, I thought it was interesting. I, I got him. I, I heard this week going into the game, and I didn't say anything on the show or anything just because, you know, take it with a grain of salt, whatever. Maybe it's just chatter. But I heard from someone this week that South Carolina apparently had installed a lot of new screenplays, a lot of shorter passes, and that's kind of what they were going with. And I think we saw that on Saturday night. I mean, most of the – you know, I don't want to take anything away from Ryan again, but most of the plays were bubble screens, were short throws, were very easy completions. And I think, again, we talk about offensive identity and what the South Carolina offense needs to do. I think they need to make a living doing that. And I'd like to see them, you know, stretch the field vertically a lot more. But especially when Shai Smith is out and you don't really have that dependable deep threat, um, not to take anything away from Brian Edwards, but, you know, I think getting Ryan Holinsky as much confidence as you can, letting him complete those shorter throws, again, building up his confidence. The kid is a true freshman, leaning on the running game. I think it's a good recipe. I think it's a good recipe for this team right now. You know, I think we've already seen. When you ask Ryan Holinsky to, you know, throw it 50 times and win the game, heck, you put anybody in that situation, it's probably not going to go very well. This is a South Carolina offense that needs to focus on, we're going to run the football first, we're going to give our young freshman quarterback easy passes to complete, and we're going to get the ball in our playmakers' hands on the outside and let them do the work. Don't make Ryan Holinsky have to go down the field every play and have to read different coverages. I'm not saying he can't do it, but he's a young guy. He just is. So I, I thought there was certainly an emphasis on that. You know, I, I thought they really forced the issue again with the shorter passes and again getting the ball to Brian Edwards 14 times on Saturday. You know, Will Muschamp's talked before. We got to get the ball to him as X number of times. They got it to him as much as I'm sure they got it to him as much as they want as much as they wanted to get it to him, if not more. So, 14 receptions. I mean, a crazy good game. Talking about the start of the game. Sluggish performance, sluggish start. Gamecocks go down 7-0 on a blown coverage, basically. Um, you know, I, I thought the defense really responded. I'll be honest. I thought the defense responded. Uh, guys played well. You know, it, it did help. I guess you could say that Vanderbilt's starting quarterback was – he was announced he was out before the game even started. But uh, I thought the Gamecocks defense bounced back. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn got his a little bit, 20 carries, 87 yards, which I think is something you expect. But you were able to really see South Carolina make Vanderbilt one-dimensional. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. You take a look at the total stats. Vanderbilt with 189 total yards, just 76 yards passing. I mean, anytime you can hold a team to under 100 yards passing, you're probably going to have a pretty good chance to win the football game. Yeah, there's just no other way to put it. So I thought the Gamecocks defense, after a very sluggish start, after a very rough first drive, which – you could hear the moans and groans in williams Bryce Stadium after that first drive. Um, I thought they bounced back. I thought they settled in. Again, just to give up 76 yards passing is phenomenal. You, you knew that Keyshawn Vaughn, one of the best in the SEC, was probably going to get his yards here and there, which he did. But Gamecocks were able to limit it. Um, Vanderbilt, you take a look. Uh, two turnovers in the night, obviously, the two interceptions with T.J. Brunson and R.J. Roderick, I thought were huge plays as well. And the Gamecocks defense just simply, again, made the plays it had to. It smothered this Vanderbilt offense. Again, very, very similar to what happened in the Kentucky game. Like this, I don't know. Again, this game felt like a carbon copy of Kentucky. The same thing all over again. Um, I already talked about, again, T.J. Brunson, R.J. Roderick. Great to see R.J. Roderick, you know, a guy that we've given as much grief as anybody else in that defense. Made a phenomenal play on that ball, stepping in front of the defender. Um, need to see more of it. 
you know, need to see more of it. I, you know, I, I don't think that solves all the, you know, I don't think all the problems are solved by any means. I mean, South Carolina, not just on defense, but offense, special teams has to get better across the board. Um, but I think you saw some promising things, some encouraging things. I don't think these guys, they, they will not quit on the defensive side. I mean, I, I think we saw a team again come out. I was really proud of the way South Carolina played in the second half. You know, I thought coming out, establishing you're the better team. Again, you, you didn't win the game by the score you wanted, but South Carolina was the better team. There's no question. There's no denying that Gamecocks were, were the better team all night long, and I thought it showed. Um, two guys I want to mention on the defensive front, DJ Wanham and Aaron Sterling. Man, these dudes, I mean, we expected – I know I did. I, I think we all expected DJ Wanham to be a force on the edge. But I've been really, really, really impressed with the season that Aaron Sterling is having. I, a guy that two sacks, two tackles for loss, you know, D.J. Wanham with a tackle for loss on his own. I think D.J. Wanham, they said, leads the SEC in tackles for loss. Aaron Sterling, I believe, is second or third, something like that. Those, both of those guys are top three in the SEC in tackles for loss. Um, you know, I, I think – we talked about a lot in the preseason. There was going to be, need to be that other guy besides a Kinlaw, besides a Wanham that needed to step up. Was it going to be Brad Johnson? Was it going to be Rick Sandage? Was it going to be Aaron Sterling? And Aaron Sterling's been that guy that has stepped up. He's become a really nice pass-rushing threat off the edge for South Carolina. I think he's done a phenomenal job for the Gamecocks. Again, those two guys had great games on Saturday night for South Carolina. But overall, when you just take a look at this game again, it had a – maybe if I'm the only one that feels this way, so be it. Uh, if you guys – I'd love to hear you guys honestly chime in on this. If you want to, you know, tweet me, uh, leave a voicemail, t- question, whatever. But it had a weird – there was just a weird vibe in the stadium. There was a very, very weird vibe. And, again, um, the crowd, you know – listen, people have the option to – they don't have to come. You can spend your money on whatever you want. I'm not telling anybody or condemning anyone or judging anyone. The crowd was less stellar than I thought it would be. Um, I was surprised how many empty seats there were. You know, I thought the energy was decent. I, I didn't think it was great. But, again, this is a team coming off two straight losses. You know, you got Vandy at home. It's not exactly a primetime matchup or anything. Um you know, definitely got loud when South Carolina scored, all that good stuff. But not even the – not even like the crowd as a whole. The, the whole night just had a very weird feel to it and a weird vibe to it. And, again, it's one of those games where you're happy, you, you know, a dub is a dub. We got the win. You know, we had to – we we won one we had to have. But it's just kind of like you're just sitting there and you just shrug your shoulders like, mm, yeah, we won. And, you know, maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. That, that's just kind of – that was my immediate reaction after the game. Just like, you know what? We won. It's better than losing. We had to get off the schneid, lost two in a row. And now it sets up a really, really big game with App State because we all know it's a game that, you know, South Carolina needs to just keep winning if it wants to make a bowl game. Uh, you got App State, then A&M, then Clemson. Um, you're sitting at four and five right now, so you got to win two of the next three. Um, you know, but overall, this Vanderbilt game, again, it was one you had to have. Uh, I think, again, I think it's kind of ironic. You cover the spread in the process. And, of course, my overpick misses again. Um, but, uh, you know, Gamecocks got one they had to have. No doubt you got one you had to have. You kind of just brush your shoulders off or you, you, you brush yourself off, you move on, you kind of flush it, forget about it. You take away the positives and just realize there's a lot, there's still a lot this team's got to work on. There's still a lot that this team has got to work on, but a win is a win. It's much better than the alternative. 
Um, let's get into some news and notes, and we'll jump into listener questions. Like I already talked about, Nick Muse out for the season with a torn ACL. Josh Josh Van out with a broken hand. Uh, they said he could come back for a bowl game, but I mean, obviously, South Carolina's going to make a bowl game first. Just really tough, really tough news. Really just shitty news to hear about Nick Muse, a guy that I think has been a really nice addition in South Carolina's passing game. Um, Josh Van, I mean, again, a guy that you know I, I understand he couldn't catch anything Saturday night. I literally said that a little bit earlier, but. God, just to take away from your wide receiver depth, I mean, it sucks. I know everyone's got injuries. For the injury bug to hit, though, stinks. Um, anytime it happens, it stinks. Good news on the injury front. Rico Dowdle, Dylan Wanham, apparently, according to Coach Muschamp, are expected back next week against App State. That will obviously be a huge addition. Um, Rico Dowdle was having a phenomenal year before he got hurt, so I expect him. And then Dylan Wanham as well. I think South Carolina has really, really missed Dylan Wanham on that offensive front. So I think it'll be a very, very big pickup to have Dylan Wanham come back on the offensive front. Um, South Carolina opening up as a four-point favorite against App State. You know, I, I tried to tell people I thought that line was going to be pretty close. You know, four points, not a lot, especially on your home field. I mean, you think Vegas thinks that South Carolina would be an underdog in Boone, North Carolina, which is, again, you just take it for what it is. App State coming off that loss to Georgia Southern – um, my initial reaction to that line is very interesting. I, I would lean South Carolina to cover right now, to be honest. But uh, obviously, we'll break that game down as we move throughout the week. But very interesting. I mean, just just you, know, you, you saw from this weekend just how good Vegas is. Vegas is very good. Um, they're very good. They don't build they don't build those casinos off winners' money. So uh, and Gamecocks open as a four point favorite over App State. Take that for what it's worth. Um, last thing really quickly, Jaquez Sorrells. Jaquez Sorrells to TCU. I mean, I don't really know what else you can say. It's It sucks. You know, the kid can never qualify. I mean, it just – that's – you know, this is just another example of why I'm not like a super, super, super diehard recruiting guy, which, again, I know to some of you is like complete blasphemy. I don't pretend to be, though. I mean, I like recruiting. I enjoy it. It's always nice to get the big guys to commit and sign. and. But in recruiting, it's one that's like never over, and you just never know in recruiting. I mean, Jaquez Sorrell was a guy, was a huge get at the time. Everyone was super excited, never even dresses out, never even, never even suits up for Carolina, and now he's going to TCU. So, wish the kid the best of luck. I wish it would have worked out at USC, but either way, wish the kid the best um, at TCU. All right, let's get into the listener questions. Got a couple voicemails, and then we'll knock out these listener questions. Spurs up show. What's up, man? This is Kenneth. Great game last night. Run game was excellent. Glad to see Deshaun's favorite get some burn. Glad to see Kevin Harris. Um, still need to work on the red zone offense. Still need to work on our, our third down defense. But uh, overall, I think uh, it was a great win for the Must Champ era. Great win for the Gamecocks. Um, I mean, we really should be five and we, we should be five and three at this point in the season, but um, we try to lay a couple of eggs along the way. But other than that, I think we have a good shot to uh, – it's going to be a tough uh, tough out next week against App State, even though they're coming off a big loss to Georgia Southern. But uh, we we got the uh, the Orange Crush coming into Willie B at the end of the month. And uh, I think if uh, we show up 
and show out. We have, we have the talent and opportunity to knock Clemson off. It's going to be a tough tough one because they're going to give us their best shot. And we're going to give them ours, and, and you know we'll see where it is. But I, I still see we end up six and six. We'll get into a you know Music City Bowl, something like that, and have a chance to win seven games and kind of salvage the season. But uh, future's bright for Gamecock. Spurs up. All right, appreciate the voicemail, man. So I'll tell you this: I think anybody, everybody knows this. Um, I, I'm not getting my hopes up super high for that Clemson game, but I, I will say this: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the opportunity is certainly there for South Carolina to finish this season six and six and get to a bowl game, and that's something you want to happen, no doubt. Getting to a bowl game is huge. I don't care if it's the worst bowl; you get those additional what is it, 15 practices or something like that. The guys get the experience of playing in the bowl game. You have the opportunity to pick up another win, if possible. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of positives to it, obviously. But, um, you know, the opportunity's there. I mean, you get App State. Like, granted, App State's a good team, and, you know, I'm going to give them a bunch of praise this week. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a forewarning because I think they deserve it. They're a good program. That's a proud program and a really good football team. And, heck, we're, we're, we're ranked um, before losing that game to Georgia Southern, which I joked, you know, I joked on social media, but kind of a serious point. It's, it's almost cruel and unusual punishment that App State lost because, you know, Will Muschamp, for all the grief he gets about, you know, not beating ranked opponents, and he finally ended that streak when they beat Georgia. But, you know, that would have been another ranked win. And App State now falls out of the AP poll, and it's just like, man, like, you know, I don't want to count my chickens where they hatch and everything and say South Carolina's uh, – oh, we'll just assume the win. But just to say if South Carolina does get the win, it's just – it kind of sinks that it's not going to be a ranked opponent. Either way, though – you know, I'm going to give App State a lot of praise this week, but I think the Gamecocks can certainly win that game on their home field night game. I, I would expect South Carolina to win. Then you go to College Station, where for next a Texas A&M team that has been extremely inconsistent. I know it's a night game at Kyle Field, which will make it really, really tough. But hey, maybe this is just the year to break all streaks. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I mean that that's a streak that certainly needs to end. Um, you know, South Carolina losing five straight to Texas A&M, never beat Texas A&M in our history. So, maybe this is the year that streak ends. And then, you know, Clemson, if you want to say that maybe it's a flip of the coin, I, I don't necessarily think so right now. And, again, I'm not going to get my hopes up for that one because Clemson's still superiorly talented. They're still one of the best teams in the country, and, and as unfortunate as that is, that is to say. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the path to get the six wins is there. The path to get six wins is there for this team. And at this point – after, if you'd have told me before the season that if we South Carolina was going to lose to UNC, lose Jake Bentley for the year, and then finish six and six, I probably would have said that actually is not a horrible year. So it's been a strange year. It's been a weird year. It's been a very unpredictable year. But getting to six and six, getting to a bowl game, especially if you can win that bowl game. I think you almost sort of salvaged the 20, 2019 season. I'll be completely honest with you. So, no, I appreciate the call, man. Really good voicemail. Got one more voicemail, and then we'll get into the uh, the listener questions here. What's up, Chris? It's Dale from Edgefield. Just uh, sitting here, figured I'd give you a buzz, eat my Popeye's chicken sandwich, watching the NASCAR race. And, uh, good win yesterday. Good, uh, good game. Good bounce-back win from the Tennessee. Uh, loss, obviously, that was difficult. And, um, you know, this week coming in, uh, we didn't know what to expect. And I think the team did play well. And um, 
it's it's good to get a win, you know. I mean, I don't know what to – I feel like this should have been my voicemail last week because I feel like Tennessee and Vanderbilt are probably on the same level as programs. And um, next week with App, uh, I expect the same thing, you know. I mean, I don't expect it to be easy, and I don't expect this to come out as slow as we did this week. I think we will step on the gas and, and uh, score a bunch of points as they, they struggled this week with uh, Georgia Southern. But um, looking forward, man, it's, um, you know, it's just wrapping up. It's kind of kind of finally setting in that the season's, season's going to be done soon, you know. And hopefully hopefully we'll have another game to look forward to. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where everything goes because I'm anxious to see what the coaching staff develops into or, you know, who gets moved. Obviously, must chance staying at this point. Um, not going to get rid of him, but I'm going to give you a hot tip right now while I'm on the subject of coaches. I'm going to predict the lane train is headed to Tallahassee, and when they get down there, they will return to their former glory, and they'll be whipping Clemson's ass before you know it. But um, just excited, man. You know, uh, it is what it is. Our season has – it is what it is. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it, but – uh we're going to be there next Saturday night, man, and uh, we're going to root them through. Uh, Spurs up. Go Cox. Appreciate it, Chris. <clears throat> All right, Dale. Dale from Edgefield. Appreciate you, man. Always appreciate you calling in. And uh, would love to link up with you. I know you said you're going to be at the App State game. Let's link up at the tailgate for sure. I got a, I got a sticker with your name on it. Um, yeah, first thing, I mean, Willie Taggart getting, <laughs> getting the axe at Florida State. Boy, oh boy, that was a bad hire. That that was that was a bad experience at Florida State. Yeah, I I think FSU will try to make a huge splash. I think Lane Kiffin would be very interesting. I don't think it'd be a bad hire either. I know he's got his drama that comes with it, but the man's a good football coach. There's no doubt. So uh, and a good recruiter at that. Um, you know, one thing I forgot to speak on earlier, and you talked about kind of the coaching developments and how the staff develops and. You know, I know everyone made a really big deal of Brian McClendon going up to the box and Dan Werner coming to the sidelines. I, I don't really know what all that means. I, I don't know if that means anything. Um, I, I'm not totally convinced at this point that South Carolina makes a change at its OC position. I'm, I'm really not. I, I'm, I'm really, really not convinced at that. Um, you, you know, we'll see. We will see, but I'm not convinced of it at all. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, Dale, you, you you hit the nail on the head as far as it's just the season has been – first off, I mean, it's crazy. There's three games left. It's wild. We have four weeks left total in the college football regular season. Uh, South Carolina having a bye week, obviously, in one of those. So, three games and a bye week. But, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We're, we're in the final stretch here. Um, and, again, like I mentioned, you know, South Carolina getting to a bowl game at this point, getting to that six-win number – would be a good, a solid you, – you always, you always want to get to a bowl game. That's the biggest thing I take a look at. That, that should be the absolute minimum standard. If you're trying to build the program and move in a positive direction, absolutely no doubt you've got to get to a bowl game. And, again, the path is there. I certainly think the path is there. Will this team do it? Can this team do it? You know, I'm not going to sit here and predict right now it's going to happen. I, I won't say they won't either, but this team has been so Jekyll and Hyde, has been so – up in the air, 50-50. I mean, God, I, I, I hope the same team shows up every week and South Carolina plays its best ball. But, I mean, at, at this point in the season, I feel like that would be almost a silly prediction to make. But, uh, 
you know, two good opportunities, or really three. I mean, really three good opportunities, but for sure two. I mean, in a game that you're a favorite in already, and then A&M is going to be a coin flip, really, I, at least in Vegas. So um, the path to six wins is there, and now you just got to go make it happen. So we'll see what happens for sure. Um, appreciate the voicemails, guys. Let's get into these listener questions, and we'll, we'll get into this interview. Uh, Joey Sigler won. When we win, we talk about other things other than football, quote, 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 or dot, 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 like, why do we have a DJ? You know, I'm not – I wasn't necessarily thinking that Saturday night, but I was kind of thinking about, like, I remember all the hype that came around the DJ and how excited everybody was. And, I mean, I mean, it's cool, I guess, but I don't know. Does the DJ make that big of an impact on the game? I, 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 I love the DJ. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the DJ. The DJ is actually from Charlotte. Uh, I've seen him out and about in the Charlotte, you know, Charlotte bars before and met him. He's awesome dude. But, yeah, I thought he would be more involved for some reason. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Jordan Portillo, 93. A lot of young players look good and stepped up. What are your thoughts? Love the show, Jordan. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, I, I think for sure there's a lot to be excited about as far as the youth's concerned, the young guys like Deshaun Fenwick, uh, Xavier Leggett, Kevin Harris. Um, and then, obviously, we, we've seen the young guys on defense the entire season. But uh, we, we've got some young guys with talent, man. There's no doubt. You know, Ryan Holinsky, hell, I <laughs> – it's funny. We don't even think of him as young anymore because he's been starting the whole season. But um, we got some young guys of talent, man. Just got to continue to develop them and put them in the right positions. And, you know, hopefully they have a ton of success. So, but we've got some young guys with talent. There's no question about that. Um, Max Schufo, Fenwick, new starting running back. I will not go that far. I, I still think this is the Dowdle Feaster show. Um, I know Feaster didn't have the great – and I know he went out with an injury too, but um, – no, I think Dowdle comes back fully healthy, man. That's his backfield. He's earned that. He's earned that right. I definitely think it's Rico Dowdle's backfield. But I think Fenwick will be right there. In the, as long as he stays, he'll be right there in that rotation next year for sure. I mean, he's a kid. Again, he's a kid with some talent. He's a kid with a lot of talent. So, it's good to see him uh, get the opportunity and make the most of it on Saturday night. Judd Rupp, sloppy first half included seeing hardworking Horn oddly stop running on a TD pass. That play, I mean, I thought he just got burnt. I mean, I, I don't know, really know what happened. I thought he just got burnt on that play, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, let's see. Big Mitch 304, do you think that we'll be able to make the postseason and get six wins this season? Again, like I just said, I mean, the path is there. I'm not going to sit here and predict 100% certain that it's going to happen, but the path is there. You have got the path to six wins laying in front of you. It's just can this team – can this team – come out and play its best football for four quarters for the next three games. And if it, I think if it does, it will get to six wins. I think it will. But this team, we, we don't know. We don't know. Um, so, we'll see. I, again, the path is there. They can, it certainly can be done. Um, upper man underscore. Do you think we can make a bowl game at this point? Again, I think it's possible. It's certainly possible. The path is there. Just got to do it. Um, lastly, Last question, E. Karch08. Who will be a tougher opponent, Vandy or App State? I, I think App State, certainly. I mean, you, you're talking about a Vandy team that didn't have its starting quarterback. And, I mean, once that happened, there was no passing game for Vanderbilt. If South Carolina could stop the run, it was going to be really, really hard for Vanderbilt to move the football. And, you know, it changed the entire game. So, you talk about App State with an offense led by Zach Thomas, who is a really, really good, experienced quarterback for the Mountaineers. I think App State 100%, 110% 
will be a tougher game than uh, than Vanderbilt was, just in my opinion. So, uh, appreciate the listener questions, guys. Got a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown. Um, most well-known Josh is for his 49-yard game-winning field goal in Knoxville against Tennessee in 2005, Steve Spurrier's first season at Carolina, the first ever win for South Carolina in Knoxville. We talk about that, everything else, much more, some funny Spurrier stories. I mean, it's a fantastic interview. Josh was a great dude, a fantastic dude, great human being, had a phenomenal conversation, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one I'd recommend, guys, I go exclusively through SeatGeek to get my tickets. They've got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you're never going to get ripped off for tickets again. You're always going to get the best bang for your buck. And you're always going to have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Guys, South Carolina's got another home night game, App State coming up. It's also senior night as well. You think about some of the South Carolina seniors, man. DJ Wanham, Ken Law, Brian Edwards. I mean, some of the some of the legends. Some of the legends. Be our last time to see them. Uh, well, not last time at Williams Bryce, but one of the last times to see these guys on the field in Garnet and Black. Come out to senior night. Come support the guys. Get your ticket for the App State game. Whether you're going to App State, whether you're going to A&M, whether you're going to Clemson, South Carolina basketball starting on Wednesday as well. If you're trying to go to the game, especially if you're taking the family out. I was looking at tickets for those. You can get tickets for as little like six bucks. I mean, we all talk about how expensive how expensive it is to go to a sporting event for like a family of three or four or five. Use the promo code SPURS up on SeatGeek. You're going to get 20 bucks off. So you're knocking off probably half the price of the tickets because they're so cheap. So, again, if you're getting tickets for South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB, whatever it might be, whatever you need your tickets to, Go to SeatGeek.com, download the SeatGeek app, put in the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, again, it's the only ticket-buying app I use, and it's the only one I'd recommend to you guys, only give you guys the best. Again, that's SeatGeek.com, download the SeatGeek app, use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2002 to 2005. During his career, he made 20 of 27 field goals, 57 of 64 point after attempts. He ranked sixth all-time in school history with 123 total points scored, his sixth all-time in field goals made, third all-time in field goal percentage. He also had 148 punts for a 39.8-yard average, and is probably most well-known for his kick up in Rocky Top in 2005 that gave South Carolina its first-ever win over the Tennessee Volunteers in Knoxville. Very pleased to welcome the show former Gamecocks kicker Josh Brown. Josh, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, Chris, glad to be here. And it brought back a lot of good memories for us, uh, or for me, rather, playing in the days of Coach Holtz and Coach Spurrier. So, glad to be on. Absolutely. So, I want to go back to the beginning for you because, Josh, I didn't realize this, but you're a kid that's actually up from the Northeast, from the state of Maryland. Um, and, obviously, you committed to Lou Holtz and committed to South Carolina and, you know, came down picked the Gamecocks. Just talk about your recruitment, though. When did South Carolina become a player for you? And, you know, what eventually led you to choose to come to South Carolina? Yeah, so, uh, what how it went down was I had a kicking coach that was – uh, teammates with Chris Kosh, who was the 
special teams coach for Coach Holtz. And um, it was known that South Carolina was looking for him punter. And, uh, of course, the coaches are all connected, you know, mm. with their network. And um, I was recommended, and they came and made a visit. And they needed to make a statement, whether it be um, offering a kid or bringing somebody in to compete with uh, whoever else was left on the team. So I was fortunate enough to be offered a scholarship by Coach Holtz, full scholarship. And I think I was the first – you'll have to double-check me on this. But I think I was the first uh, kicker out of high school that he ever offered. Mm-hmm. And probably the only one, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So Yeah, because I was taking so, back uh, – I, you know, the last guy that you, you were with the Holtz era was uh, was Daniel Weaver, who actually he, he made a couple of game winners of his own, especially in that Outback Bowl comes to mind. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned Coach Holtz, obviously, and you're a guy, you know, Josh, you had the chance to do something. I mean, most guys don't even get to play for one Hall of Famer, much less two. But that, that's exactly what you did. But just talk about you get on campus. What, what were your first interactions like, uh, in, you know, with Lou Holtz. I mean, how, how involved was he really in, like, special teams and kind of what, you know, your day-to-day? Because, you know, people joke around that kickers are kind of on their own. You know, they're in their own bubble, basically. They're on their own island. And But, I mean, how involved was he? And what were those first interactions like uh, between you and Coach Holtz? Yeah, um, he is uh, like a drill sergeant with his coaching style. Um, he demands perfection. He puts the pressure on all of his – or did on all of his players at practice to ensure that they were going to be able to perform game time in front of 80,000 plus, hmm. depending on which stadium you're playing at. So, um, which is a complete opposite to Coach Breyer. But the first interactions was, you know, if you didn't hit the ball right, whether it be a field goal or a punt, he kicked you off the field. And that wasn't just for kickers. That was any position. But uh, he was especially hard on the kickers because of – being the little involvement that he that we had during the special teams period throughout a two-hour practice, and that's why I think he was really difficult on us because we had minimal reps, and he wanted to make sure they all counted. Mm. No doubt. So I, I talked about Daniel Weaver a little bit. Now, again, I, I'm not sure. You know, you you can kind of correct me or just let me know what kind of the transition is for a kicker going from high school to college. I'm sure a lot of it more so has to do with you know you're going from kicking in a high school game to kicking in 100,000-seat stadiums. And there's a lot of pressure that obviously comes with the job. But, uh, you know, Daniel Weaver was a guy, again, when you get there, he was the starting kicker, had that job. And I know in 2003 you took over as far as punts were concerned. And then 2004, 2005, you were the guy um, doing both the punting and the kicking. But just talk about your relationship with Daniel Weaver. I mean, what was that like, obviously, battling for that job and being behind a guy that, again, had a pretty good bit of success himself? Yeah, he did. Um Daniel had a great first year, and um, he he did uh, kind of have a little slump period, like anybody does in their career um, that the following year. But um, we just we were competitors, but at the same time we were friends. So um, it just worked out where how could I contribute to the team um, when he won the starting job my freshman year, and uh, I served as a backup. And then, like you said, the following year I was starting as far as punting goes and took over the punting duties from Tyler Dean. So, I mean, we work together, you know, um, and it's like anybody else. You got guys that he, you fight every day with like a family member, but at the same time, <laughs> at the end of the day, you go home together, you know? So, um, 
uh, we were good friends and, you know, com- we were both competitors. So we had a great relationship. Did, did you have a preference in regards to punting or kicking or did you like doing both or did you want to do both? I mean, what, cause I, it's, I just think it's interesting now, like you look at South Carolina currently, I mean, you have Joseph Charlton who's one of the best punters in the country and then Parker White. And I, I feel like it's just kind of a, it just depends. I, most teams, I feel like, don't, don't have guys that do both. But, I mean, it, was it something where you had a preference one or the other, or did you like doing both? Um, I didn't mind it. It does require two different leg swings. So, mm. a lot of times um, it can be challenging to separate the two, you know. But, um, for the most part, I didn't mind it a bit. The, the punting definitely has a different uh, set of skills aside from kicking. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to receive the snap. You have to um, take your steps and punt the ball down the field as opposed to kicking where you got a holder involved and a snapper involved and it's more timing. But um, um, I didn't I didn't mind doing both. It kind of – that's how I could serve the, serve the team best because mm-hmm. uh, I was the best that we had. So um, that's what I was willing to do. For sure. So, Josh, talk about that 2004 season. Um, you know, obviously you guys – beat Arkansas, qualify for a bowl game. Uh, didn't end the way you wanted, obviously, with the brawl happening. And uh, Coach Lou Holtz, you know, announces his retirement. W- was that something that you guys as a team – I know there was a lot of rumor the weeks prior to that even that, uh, you know, Lou Holtz was going to be stepping down. And, heck, the Steve Spurrier rumors, I think, started the week of the Clemson game or maybe even before that. But how much of the chatter did you hear in the locker room? Was that something that you maybe expected or saw coming with uh, Coach Holtz stepping down? Um, you know, I, I think the cat's out of the bag now, obviously, since there were so many years past, but the week of the Clemson game, Clemson game, um, coach Holtz had a team meeting with everybody and announced that he was going to retire mm-hmm. after the, at the end of the year. So at that point, um, you know, already having a, a rough season, um, it was, uh, it was easy for the team to kind of unravel at any moment of uh, opposition where we realized that we weren't going to win a game. So I think that it had an influence on the, on the brawl, but, you know, we, we made a bad decision and we served the consequence for it because we elected not to go to a bowl game. So it was unfortunate, but that's how it played out. For sure. I, I know you weren't a guy that was in the middle of it or anything, Josh, but I mean, what, what do you remember? What, what do you remember from the brawl? Cause I mean, it was, I mean, obviously one of the craziest things and it was, it was the crazy too, cause it was what the day after the, uh, the NBA fight with, uh, right. who it was, it was the day after that. I mean, what do you remember from the brawl specifically? Yeah. And I think that that NBA fight the night before that everybody watched in the hotel had an effect on it as well, but, I just remember a little skirmish breaking out, and then all of a sudden I see people from the sideline running all, you know, out, and I'm like, what are we doing, <laughs> you know? What, what, what is going on? So I uh, graciously stayed on the sideline as a, <laughs> as a place kicker and punter uh, at about 200 pounds versus a uh, lineman out there swinging helmets around, and I uh, decided that they could handle, handle that. <laughs> so... <laughs> There, there was um, no, there was no thought from you to go, uh, go start swinging with anybody. No, not at all, <laughs> not at all. So, um, it just, it was a poor, a poor moment in our history. But uh, you know, like I said, we had to serve the consequence for it, and we moved on from it. And I think, uh, you know, Coach Brewer coming in 
you know, flipping the coin, going opposite direction with the program as far as where we were at at that time. Not to say we weren't winning at one point in time with Coach Holtz, but just where the program was at that time was such a, a breath of fresh air for everybody. For sure. I, I definitely want to talk to you about that, Josh. You know, I, obviously, again, Lou Holtz steps down. Steve Spurrier gets a job. And what I mean, you know, when Coach Holtz got the job, it was obviously a very, very exciting time for South Carolina. But Steve Spurrier getting the job obviously inserts a brand new optimism and brand new expectations. What was that first team meeting like? And kind of sort of similar to what I asked you earlier, that those first interactions that you had with Coach Spurrier. Well, you know, it's kind of funny uh, when you got a guy like that that comes in and his history in college football, <laughs> everybody's motivation changed at the snap of a finger. <laughs> and all of a sudden we are like, okay, hey, we're going to listen to this guy. <laughs> so um, it didn't take much. It didn't take much from a player's perspective for everybody to get in gear, um, as aside from what was happening the years past. So mm-hmm. it was it was a night and day difference, honestly. I mean, everybody was – in tune and listening and doing what they were supposed to do. And that it showed, I mean, it was amazing. The small, the, the, well, the large impact he had at just taking over and being named head coach. I, I remember just from the fans perspective, Josh, the, the, the amount of hype that was around coach Spurrier being head coach. I remember going to the spring game in 2005 and, you know, South Carolina gets in the shotgun and throws a pass and people are cheering, whether it was complete or incomplete. It's like, oh, my God, we're going to start throwing the football. You know, it, just the optimism was just running through. And, obviously, that offseason, heading into that, you know, that first game with Coach Spurrier as head coach against UCF, I know the the anticipation was at a fever pitch. And it was a Thursday night game, college game days there. I mean, the college football world is centered on Columbia, South Carolina, and Steve Spurrier returning to college football. And, um, you know, obviously gets off to a great start with Blake Mitchell hitting Noah Whiteside. Everybody goes crazy. But what do you remember as a player in regards to – the anticipation leading up to that one. I mean, what, what was that like as far as that all coming to a head that night? And, you know, obviously, again, you guys getting the, uh, getting the win over UCF. Yeah, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, we had college game day out there. Um, I can't remember. I think it was one of the bands were out there playing right before the game mm-hmm. started. And then when he hit that pass, um, the, the place just erupted. I mean, everybody was so – excited about the good changes to come and it was showed you know big time so um i just i remember it not only that game but every game throughout the year it was like the fans didn't want to leave mm-hmm. you know they were just they hung around the stadium in their seats and one one game that comes to mind is the florida game when we pulled off the win against them mm-hmm. there at home and um uh, we ran in the tunnel and then uh fans didn't leave and all of a sudden everybody's running back out of the tunnel and do another victory lap it was uh it was great it was a great scene for sure so that 2005 season obviously again tons of anticipation but got off to an interesting start because you guys get that win over UCF go to Georgia in a game really I, I think you you know you would probably agree you guys definitely could have won I mean a 17 to 15 loss at Sanford but uh, start the season two and three with losses to Bama and Auburn uh, but then you guys find a way to go on a five-game winning streak, which included wins over Kentucky and Vandy at home. And then the Tennessee game comes around. And obviously, I know that's the one, Josh, everybody wants to ask you about. I mean, I definitely would think you would probably agree your most memorable moment 
on the field in garnet and black. Uh, just talk about going into that game because, again, Spurrier, Fulmer, I think I remember going into it was – that was the big headline, obviously. Those guys always had legendary matchups when he was at Florida. But the whole Spurrier, Fulmer aspect, you go into Knoxville. South Carolina had never won in Knoxville before. Um, and then you hit the game winner. You hit the game winning kick. First off, before we even get to the kick, just talk about going into that game. What was the mindset? Because uh, I know this wasn't the Tennessee program of old. You know, they, they were ranked 23rd in the country, but this was kind of Tennessee. Um, they weren't meeting expectations that season. But what was the mindset for you guys going into that football game first off? Yeah, um, you mentioned the Georgia game, which was not one of my brightest moments in my career. Um, I was the main. I was one of the main reasons we lost that game when I dinged an uh, extra point off the upright. So I just I had this sheer moment of disappointment that I let everybody down with something so silly like that. So I was just ready and willing for the chance to redeem myself. And um, Coach Burry would always say to us uh, before before the games, uh, while we were in the hotel and stuff, he'd always say. Y'all be ready, you know, it might come down to a field goal. And he said that to us before the Tennessee game. It, me and my holder, I Crowfoot and long snapper Scott Morgan were walking around before the game at the hotel and and uh sure enough it comes down to that. And uh Coach Burry tells the story the best. Uh said I make him made him look like coach of the year. Um comes down to it and he was debating whether or not to kick it and he turns around and looks at at me halfway out on the field and says, well, hell, I guess he wants to kick. Go ahead. And, um, you know, <laughs> says I made him look like coach of the year. So uh, he said it was easy for him to make the decision when he sees somebody ready to go out there and take advantage of a moment like that. And uh, I was ready for it. That's awesome. I think the interesting, interesting thing about the clip, Josh, is, I mean, again, it was 49-yard field goal. You know, it wasn't a short field goal at all. Um, I think that was – you can correct me if I'm wrong. Was that your career long at the time? That, that, like, that made it your career long, the 49-yarder? It was. It was. And Ryan Suckup, who's still kicking in the league, I watched mm. him kick earlier today. He was the one that was usually taking on the long field goals, but there was no chance I was going to let a freshman take, uh, take my spot here. And um, I, I was just – like I tell you, I was ready for that moment and took advantage of it, and everybody prospered from it. Thankfully, you know, and it was a great moment in Carolina history. First win in Knoxville and uh, actually uh, won another good moment there that night. Coach Spurrier made a bet with the team prior to the game. Said, you know, if we pull off the win tonight, you know, we'll all sing Rocky Top. So as he handed out the game balls, he called it up. And I said, hold up, Coach. You forgot about the bet you made with everybody. And um, he said, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. So we sat there and sung. Rocky Top in the in the locker room before we we broke it off and got on the airplane to come back home. <laughs> That's awesome. That that is great stuff. So I, I wanted to ask you though, the the kick itself. Uh, I think the clip is interesting because as soon as you hit the kick, you knew it. I mean, you you knew it was good, but you watch the replay, and I, I'm sure you've seen the replay thousands of times. I mean, the ball. I mean, it was as close as it could have come. Um, yeah. I mean, do you ever think to yourself, if what if it would have been like a yard short? Would you you would worry like that you would have ce- like celebrate called it early? I mean, it's just like it's it all worked <laughs> out for the right reasons, but it's just kind of funny watching the clip, like how sure you were of it. And I think everybody else is like sitting on pins and needles, nervous as they can be, and it's like as soon as you hit it, it's like you you knew it was good. You knew it was good the second you left yeah. left your foot. Yeah, I think my holder knew it better than I did. Uh, I crowfoot because he was celebrating a little 
early himself, but I, I joined in very quickly because, you know, it's just like uh, compared to a golfer when you know you just hit that pure shot. And um, it felt so good coming off my foot. And when I looked up and saw it, um, I was going through my, my normal routine of going down and slapping the holder for a good job. And he was already jumping up in the air. So <laughs> it, uh, it was uh, definitely a good feeling for sure. But uh, I really didn't know how close it was until obviously I saw the replay. But, mm-hmm. you know, I told Coach Breyer, I said, um, I'm, how, he said, how far you get out to? I said, I'm good out to 50 unless there's a wind in my back and I'm probably good at, to 55. And uh came true, obviously, by just mere inches. So, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so then the next uh, Monday following the game, Coach Ron Cooper, who was a special teams coach, lined up at the exact same spot, uh, 49 yards out, right hash, and uh, it barely went through yet again. <laughs> and uh, Coach Furrier Coach got a big kick out of that and said, he was testing you, but you got him, Josh, you got him. So, <laughs> Hey, it went through, and that's all that matters. <laughs> that's, that's right. That matters exactly. Yeah. Um, so obviously, again, a huge win. I mean, that, I think that really sparked the 2005 season too, because that that 05 season was interesting, Josh. In the sense, I mean, it was your senior year, but you guys accomplished so many firsts. I mean, it was just crazy how many firsts South Carolina was able to accomplish in Spurrier's first year. Uh, you guys go on the road in a game that I thought was really underrated, and still, it's not talked about enough. You get a big win at Arkansas. Um, I remember Kenny McKinley having a big touchdown catch in that one. And then, like I, like we talked about earlier, you return home, uh, South Carolina, Florida. I mean, Spurrier against Florida. They're ranked 12th in the country. It's a huge game already. But you guys go out there, really take care of business. I mean, I think the 30-22 to 22 score, it wasn't even really that close. It didn't feel that close when I was watching it. But uh, just talk about that game. Again, I know one of the lasting visions for me as a fan was seeing the entire crowd doing the Gator Chomp and – uh, you know, it's just, just a, gr- a great moment in South Carolina football history, I feel like. Yeah, that was a that was a crazy game because of the hype as well, of course, with Coach Furrier, you know, coming from Florida and whatnot and his history there. But um, I remember a couple things that happened during that game that were key moments. They blocked one of our extra points and ran it back for two points. Mm-hmm. And then – the the kind of thing that sealed the deal was one of their offensive drives, our defensive lineman, Chris Tucker, um, somehow, some way, uh, deflected pass. He picked off and, you know, <laughs> acted like a running back and ran it back to about, I think, like 10 or 15-yard line, and that kind of sealed the deal for us. But, um, yeah, the, just the like you said, the atmosphere after the game where nobody wanted to leave and Sidney Rice going over and doing the Gator Chomp to all the, the uh, Gator fans there in the corner – <laughs> it just was a another key moment his first coach for his first year that I was just glad to be a part of was there a different was there a difference in his approach or the way he prepared you guys in that in that Florida week because I know I've you know talked with former guys that played for him and you know Spurrier was a very you know it's it's a faceless opponent you know prepare the same way and he was really good about that but was there anything different that week for the floor I mean could you guys tell that that one meant just a little bit more to him no, no, he 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 stayed pretty even keeled, uh, no matter who the opponent was, and um, you know, just he, his mindset was let's let's go out and let's let's play let's play well, you know, let's go out and play hard and play well and see what happens. But um, he just it was a completely different mindset than um, Coach Holtz. Coach Holtz would always try to you know build everything up with some motivation and 
whatnot. And Coach Brewer was just like, hey, you know, let's go out and play great. You guys are good. There's no reason why we can't win this game. This is how we're going to prepare for it. And uh, let's go do our thing. Uh, there was no special, you know, pregame speech or anything leading up to any game that was different than any other one. For sure. So I, I want to ask you, Josh, again, I know you're not an in-state kid, and I, I know the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry games while you were there didn't go the way that you necessarily wanted them to. But being from out of state, how, how quickly did you learn just how big of a game the South Carolina-Clemson game was? And was there a specific moment that you remember where it sunk in, like this is not – this is not just any other game for this fan base. Oh yeah, it was it was my my freshman year. I, I realized the hate from day one, and uh, just the the fact that uh, the preparation leading up to the game and the fan bases and the constant back and forth with just people in town, out of town. It just it was uh, very easy to see that. Uh, each of us didn't like each other very well. <laughs> so um, uh, it definitely has grown on me through the years where uh, it really hurts to see the success they're having right now. Mm. But um, I uh, remind everybody uh, quite often that uh, give me grief uh, that are Clemson fans that they should enjoy it while it lasts because all good things come to an end, just mm. like uh, our run that we had with Coach Spurrier. So, um, yeah, I don't know how long that'll be for them, uh, considering it seems like they just reload every year. But um, yeah, at some point it will, you know, at some point it will. It, it, it eventually will at some point. For sure. So I want to talk to you about after you leave South Carolina, obviously as a senior, you know, just kind of the the fraternity of guys that I know you're friends with. You talked about Ryan Suckup already. Spencer Lanning came after you. Elliot Fry, obviously, having a fan, you know, had a fantastic career. I mean, all-time points leader. And then you see what a guy like Parker White's doing. I mean, how, how cool is it, I guess, to be in that fraternity? Because I feel like South Carolina has had a pretty good run of having some top-notch kickers and, and even punters. I mean, like you said, I mean, I, I was also watching that game today with the Panthers and Ryan Suckup and just what he's done in the league has been – I mean, he's one of the best kickers in the league by far. But uh, yeah. I guess what's that like? What's the relationship like between all you guys that, you know, have, have worn the garnet and black at one point and kicked for South Carolina? Oh, yeah. We're all – we all share in the same fraternity, and it's it's always nice to be able to reminisce with the guys about the memories that we shared. And that's the thing that we're going to carry out through the rest of our lives. You know, seeing uh, guys that I, – I get a chance to see at home games and whatnot and be able to catch up with them and reminisce is just one of those things that – you can always look back on and uh, reminisce about and have good, good, uh, good thoughts and feelings about. And um, not only that, but like in the future with our future endeavors, whether it be business related or personal related, it's always good to have that bond. Now, whether that be with a kicker or another position, it didn't matter. You know, we were all in the same fraternity together. Mm. No doubt. So kind of switching gears here, a very random question since we're talking about the NFL do you ever get mistaked? Are there ever people that mistake you for Josh Brown that kicked for the Giants and the, I believe what was the Rams, Giants, Seahawks? What, was there ever people that mistake you for that guy? Yes, uh, and no, I didn't beat my wife. Um, no, that, that, that's, uh, <laughs> I know that that was a tough one. It's like, why did you have to do that, man? We have the same name. <laughs> no, no, but what is uh, odd is me and him went to the same kicking camp and mm. we're roommates. 
and uh, we were referred to as Brown, South Carolina, and Brown, Nebraska, because <laughs> that is who we kicked for in college. Um, it's just uh, just uh, weird how we kind of came together and had the same name, and we we're both kickers, you know. Um, but uh, it uh, he was also very good and um, kicked in the NFL for many years until he got into some domestic issues. But um, he was similar to Ryan Suckup in the fact that he was just a natural talent, you know, um, and could have played probably much longer than what he did. But uh, his issues off the field got in the way. For sure, for sure. So, uh, you know, Josh, I want to move into current day South Carolina football because obviously the Gamecocks in an interesting spot right now. You talked about you were at the game Saturday night and, you know, South Carolina trying to get back to where it was under Steve Spurrier with now current head coach Will Muschamp. We'll talk first about specifically the special teams. Because I know that's your, your specialty, literally. Um, but then also kind of just the direction of the program, where the program's going, stuff like that. But when you take a look at guys, like we already mentioned Joseph Charlton, who – I think you'll probably agree. I think he's one of the best punters in the entire country and really doesn't get the respect he deserves. And then a guy like Parker White, who, you know, has had a really interesting career in the sense of that first year. I think they maybe asked a little too much of him, but he was able to rebound in a big way last year and I think has really, you know, become a weapon for South Carolina as a guy they can really depend on, is one of the better kickers, I think, in the SEC. When you take a look at South Carolina's special teams right now from a kicking perspective, you know, what, what do you see in Charlton and Parker White? I think they're both uh, both great. Um, Charlton's a great punter, like you say. I, I would agree with you. He's one of the top in the country. Parker White, uh, he has matured and developed very early on in his career, which is great for us in the coming years that he has left. Um, he continues to be uh, an, an accurate kicker every game, and we can depend on him for three points when we get in you know, inside the, the 40, roughly, I would say. But um, I, I, as a, overall, as a program as a whole, I think we've had some hurdles this year, starting from the first game uh, when our quarterback went down. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just been an uphill battle. Um, our schedule hasn't helped at all because mm-hmm. everybody we played seems like they've been ranked. And um, I think pulling off the big win against Georgia has proved that <laughs> – we can play with anybody if we bring our A game. And it boils down to consistency. And playing at that level week in and week out. And once we can master that, we can be competitive with anybody in the country. There's without a doubt. We played with Alabama for, what, three quarters. And mm-hmm. we beat Georgia. And it's just uh, – it, it's, at, it's at the right spot. We just need to get – a couple key plays to bounce our way and um, kind of swing us in the right direction. I think right now, like I said, we've been kind of had some hurdles this this season, but I think that it's going the right direction. Coach Muschamp has got it, uh, got the guys all thinking the right way. When you look at this program, Josh, I want to get your perspective because you were part of, you know, the first Spurrier team. And obviously I know you kept up with it because a lot of your buddies were on, you know, Ryan Suckup just being one. But we're on those first couple of Spurrier teams. You know, it took Spurrier a while to really get it rolling when he was at South Carolina. I mean, do you see any similarities in regards to where the program is currently versus like where it was early on in the Spurrier era? I mean, is is there any type of similarities you see there or where you think maybe South Carolina is – maybe closer than some fans think? Or, I mean, what, what, what do you see in regards to that comparison? Yeah, I think it, it starts off with the recruiting. 
and winning the in-state battle. Um, I think Muschamp is a great recruiter, and I think he's got, you know, like I say, the right guys coming in. It's just a matter of shaping and molding them to be consistent on a week-in, week-out basis. So I'd say that in comparison to Coach Spurrier, that he's got it going in the right direction. He really does. And there's been comparisons I've heard, you know, based on the amount of years that Coach Spurrier was here and his record and whatnot. And I'd say that uh, people didn't give Coach Spurrier as much grief as what they probably give Coach Muschamp because of, obviously, his previous outstanding record that he came in to South Carolina with. But um, I think Coach Muschamp has got it going the right direction and uh, just going to take a little bit more time and get the right athletes in the right place to bounce our way. We'll be on our way just like we were with Coach Spurrier. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think you know, also one of the things is Coach Spurrier with the success, I think he really changed the expectations at South Carolina. Where I, you know, it's funny, I was telling a buddy that even 2004, you know, I, I just remember when South Carolina would get the six wins and it was like it felt like a huge victory, you know, <laughs> mentally. Yeah. And now it's like oh, you yeah. know, six and six or a seven and five year is – you know what I mean? It's a good problem to have. You want to be in a program that has those type of expectations, but it is just the reality. And then especially you, you add in, you know, back when, you know, you were at South Carolina and those, again, those first couple of Spurrier teams, I mean, Clemson wasn't the Clemson we're seeing today. And even Georgia wasn't the Georgia that we're seeing now either. And I think it's, you know, that, that is sort of taking a toll on some of the fan base, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. It's tough to watch your rival have so much success. And, um, <laughs> it doesn't help Coach Muschamp at all uh, when, you know, South Carolina Gamecock fans watch our in-state rival be number one uh, week in and week out and, you know, for the past however many years. So, um, but I like to say, I'm behind him. I think he's got to go in the right direction and can't wait to see what he can do with the team next year and the year after. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, Josh, I'm going to get you out of here, but first, really quickly, first question. Uh, if you had to pick one, I feel like I already know what it's going to be, and if it's if it's this memory, then I understand. But your favorite memory as a Gamecock, is there any chance it's anything other than the game at Tennessee? Uh, no, of course not. It's such a memorable <laughs> it's such a memorable kick for me in my career, uh, and then altogether for the program. Uh, you know, first win in Knoxville uh, for us, and under a coach like Coach Springer, um, it was just an unforgettable moment that nobody will ever forget as part of Gamecock Nation. All right, and then last question, Josh. Uh, your funniest Spurrier story or just funniest story while you were at Carolina, if you've got one? Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess uh, it was a couple years afterwards. I said, hey, Coach, you remember before the game, you told, you told us to be ready, um, that it might come down to a uh, field goal. He said, yeah. He said, uh, I tell that to all the kickers and punters before every game. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was something memorable, but he goes, yeah, I tell them that before every game. That way they're ready. So uh, <laughs> that's him to a T. Um, just, you know, being a coach, you know, just uh, be ready. To be ready. You never know when your number's going to be called. And uh, I thought it was some – spectacular moment that he called it before the game but it didn't it wasn't that that way <laughs> that, that, that is that is peak spurrier no doubt <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure well josh really do appreciate you taking the time again i mean a lot of good memories to relive and certainly you know i can speak for all gamecock fans when 
you know, we say, especially every single Tennessee week that comes around that, you know, your kick is certainly something to relive. And obviously one of the biggest wins, I think the history of the South Carolina program and appreciate everything you did, obviously. And uh, would love to have you back on to talk some ball sometime. That sounds good. I'd be happy to. All right, perfect. So for Josh Brown, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.